And it was there that I was kind of introduced to to concepts like oh thermal bridges and, and air tightness. I remember doing some detailing on some schools projects and you know, we'd be discussing the details and, and they'd be like, oh, we probably need to eliminate this thermal bridge. And I just, I'd never heard of that before, you know, in my education in New Zealand. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. This week on the show, I'm very pleased to bring you a chat with Tim Ross. Now, Tim is a born and bred Kiwi. Uh, heralding from Pyro of all places, um, a little bit south of, of Auckland. Went to Poly, uh, to Unitech here in Auckland uh, and to study architecture, but is a great example of someone who's been influenced by going overseas and experiencing how high-performance buildings actually work and how they feel. He was uh, fortunate to have a pretty formative experience, which he describes in this interview in Bath in the UK, and then has come back to New Zealand and grasped a few really exciting opportunities to progress in the field of passive house, including one of the most uh, exciting current projects, I think, of, of passive house, which is a co-housing project in Dunedin. And uh, Archetype is experiencing some good success off the back of that already, um, developing some other typologies of passive houses for the New Zealand market. So I started out by asking Tim how he got into architecture in the first place. I think um, I've always been a bit of a maker. I've always enjoyed making things. So it was kind of either building or, or architecture mm -hmm. were the two options. Um, and... I think the idea of architecture appealed a little bit more. I've got a mother who's kind of quite artistic and a dad who's an engineer. Um, so the idea of, I've probably got a bit of a bit of both sides. So, you know, the idea of combining art with a bit of engineering and, and science has always been appealing to me. So the architecture seemed to, seemed to be a good fit. Where did you grow up? I grew up in, um, in the Waikato. So in, in, in Pyro. Yeah. It, yeah, lemon and pyro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, Auckland wasn't too much of a stretch to come and spend six years studying architecture. No, I mean it, it was pretty common. I mean, all, me and my friends, we all sort of disappeared up to Auckland um, to study. Um, not all of us for six years, um, but no, I mean it was. It's pretty common for uh, you know it's only an hour and a half away from from where I grew up, so it's not um, not too much of a stretch. And then straight into Stevenson Turner as a graduate. Yep, that's right. Yeah, in fact, I even took a year off um, after after third year, I think it was. Um, worked there, working on some big projects like the airport and, and whatnot when nine eleven happened, um, and then went back to uni to finish off after having had a, you know a year to get some experience and a bit of a break, um, and then went back and worked for them for for a couple more years. And tell me about your work in the UK. You spent what, eight, eight months working in the UK? Yeah, so, I mean, that was pretty, that was actually pretty formative. I worked for a practice called Fallon Clegg Bradley um, Studios in, in, in Bath um, in the UK. Uh, and they're, they're an amazing practice. They do um, a lot of really sustainable work for, you know, lots of tertiary sort of uh, education projects in primary schools. Um, but... Uh, really formative in terms of just their um, social conscience 
um, and attitude towards things like emissions. And, and it was there that I was kind of introduced to to concepts like oh, thermal bridges and, and air tightness. I remember doing some detailing on some schools projects and you know, we'd be discussing the details and, and they'd be like, oh, we probably need to eliminate this thermal bridge. And I just, I'd never heard of that before, you know, in my education in New Zealand, yeah, those, right. ter those terms just never came up. Um, and so I sort of, you know, scratched my head and said, I, I don't even know, I don't know how I would even go about doing that or improving the air tightness of this particular junction. I have no idea what, what that even really means. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty formative in being introduced to some of those, those kind of concepts of, um, low energy building because um, they were very much into designing to bream um, five or six star standard a lot of their projects were um, not so much in the passive house side of things but um, very much into the sustainable architecture side of things yeah so bream i guess would be equivalent to sort of green star home star that's right thing today yeah yeah did where was stevenson and turner with regards to sustainable or green architecture around that time was it was that a thing back then probably not not hugely i mean there was the green there was the green star um thing coming into some some of the commercial projects that we were beginning to to look at i mean it was quite a commercial practice and so um it was it was great to work on some really large scale projects um later on when i worked at architectus the the green star thing like it was much more important um and a lot of the projects we were working on there were were trying to achieve five or six uh, uh, green star ratings yeah yeah so when did you first hear about passive house i think it was probably during my time in the uk um and it was also probably when i was introduced to um concepts like like co-housing um i went to some a couple of different talks there um and there were some um, other architects in the in that um area who were into to passive house and they did some public talks and so that's probably where i first heard about it um probably didn't think too much of it at the time didn't really know too much about it but when i came mm -hmm. back to um came back to new zealand um and local architect here rafe mclean was um had just done his passive house certification training and was talking about it at one of the local New Zealand architects branch meetings, uh, the, the Southern architects branch meetings. And I thought, actually, that, sound, that sounds brilliant. I didn't even know it was available in New Zealand. So um, I went ahead and got myself booked into the course. With your newfound knowledge about thermal bridges and air tightness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finding a way to actually bring that all together in some sort of cohesive um, scheme. Yeah, so you were back down in, how did you get to, to, to Dunedin? Um, so we were, we were living overseas, we lived in Mexico for a while, but then we, we, we came back and my wife was wanting to study medicine. Um, so it was either going back to Auckland at that point or down here in Dunedin, and we were not keen to not keen to go back into the, the traffic of Auckland, so we, we thought it would be much easier to, much more, con you know, we've got kids and stuff, so much more conducive to family life to, to do that down here in Dunedin. Yeah. And we're kind of... Uh, we're pretty much settled here. It's uh, an awesome, an awesome wee city, and yeah, it's great. And getting more awesome uh, because of thanks to people like yourself doing some pretty interesting projects down that way. Um, but the, I mean, the climate is is, is harsher down there. Is it, you get colder winters and more extremes. Do you think more people are? Um, 
driven to want more energy efficient or, or comfortable buildings in that, that part of the world? Oh, absolutely. And I think I think there's a couple of factors in Dunedin which make it quite appealing to people um, mm-hmm. or at least more common. Um, mm-hmm. The first of those would be obviously it does have quite a cool, cool, cool climate and the heating season is almost like nine months of the year. Yeah. Um, so you actually get quite a lot of bang for buck for if you have a, an energy efficient warm house you're really getting the benefit for about nine months of the year, whereas places like Auckland, you know, you might get it for five, six months of the year, um, and then the rest of the time you've got, you, you know, you, you're wanting to try kind of keep cool. So yeah. that would be one of one of the points. And the other point would be that um, because we've got it's a university city, a, a lot of people come here who've lived overseas and experienced better housing standards in, in Europe or um, or in America, and and they're often not willing to go back to to New Zealand um, standard uh, of, of building, and or they they're living in rental accommodation, and they're desperate to to build something which is actually going to be more like what they've become used to. So those two factors combined mean that there is actually quite a quite, we've seen you know quite a lot of demand down here for, yeah. for building better. So you must have you sort of got both ends of the spectrum because I mean Dunedin's known for its really bad houses and student accommodation. And yes, there's, uh, there's still plenty of that, uh, and that's a big challenge to retrofit those existing houses or, or perhaps bulldoze them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then you you've got that demand, and, and I, I see that quite often that it's people who have lived over, Kiwis who have lived overseas or people who have travelled here from other countries that just outright reject standard. Uh, code compliant New Zealand construction. Yeah, I mean it's quite often the partner of the person, you know. So someone will get a position at, at university, um, and their partner basically says, "Well, if I'm going to, I'm to be at home with the kids or whatever, yeah. or, um, um, I want to live in a, I want to live in a decently warm house." And yeah. so, so the trade-off is to, to build something warm and energy efficient, something that they can be comfortable, um, comfortable in. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty common story. And. Is it the comfort that's the big driver, or the energy efficiency? I think it's I think it's mainly the comfort. Yeah. Um, I mean, the energy efficiency thing is, is obviously how people justify the extra um, investment, and yeah. so they do tend to when they're looking at the numbers, they do, mm. do tend to try and work out payback periods. Um, but the reason, the, the main reason they're doing they're doing it would really be um, the comfort because you can. You can be very, you know, you can be low energy just by not turning the heating on, but it's miserable. Um, yeah. So these are people who want to have the heating on, but um, obviously, you know, and, and don't want to be spending a fortune on as well. Yeah. So you're you're well established now. Been how long has Archetype been been going? Um, it's been going for about fifteen years, but it's been going. I've been full time um, working in um, for myself by myself for probably the last eight years. Right. Hmm. So. And just to be clear, Archetype is, is no relation to the UK Archetype, is it? No, no. I mean, like I say, 15 years ago when I was picking a name, I, I did do a bit of hunting around online just to see who else had that name. Yeah. And I, I there was a practice in the UK that was also called Archetype, but there was no there was no mention that they were doing passive housing at that point. Um, right. And we both seem to, you know, they were obviously, you know, a, a huge in the UK in terms of their um, input into the passive house movement. But mm. um, And then I just sort of found my way into a similar kind of line of, of work. Yeah, so what, how does that 
What does that look like now? Do, do you find that you're having to promote yourself or are people finding you and are they coming already wanting a, either a passive house or, or a, a high-performance house? Do you, do you have to try and convince people to go that way or are they finding you because they know from your reputation that that's what you do? Most of the time they come to us because they know that's that's what we do. So, yeah. um, in fact, we, we now have a policy of really turning people away if they don't want to do just you know they have to have a particular interest in low energy or yeah you know going beyond the code if they if that's not their focus there's lots of other architects who can look after them yeah and we need to focus on looking after people who who, who want to do the high performance stuff because you know i hate, I hate he- hearing stories of people who wanted to do the high performance thing went to the you know a designer who didn't have any experience in it and, and got either completely you know advised against doing it or yeah. or was and it was done in such a way that they spent huge amounts of money or um, or, or didn't have the outcome that they were hoping for. So, um, yeah, we're, we're now at the point where we pretty much, if the client doesn't come to us with a specific brief that, that requires low energy or passive house, um, we say, well, yeah, I mean, there's lots of other people out there. Yeah, yeah. High Street, co-housing project. Uh, super exciting for a number of reasons. How did you first get involved with it? So, I mean, that's another long, I mean, that, that goes back about sort of six years um, when there was the initial, there was an initial public meeting um, that was advertised in the paper. Uh, and having been exposed to some of those ideas about co-housing in, in UK, I, I thought the idea of getting together with a bunch of other people and doing a build, purchasing a land um, and doing a build would be, would be an awesome idea. Um, so I went to an initial public meeting, and, and, and from that meeting, uh, there was a kernel of a group that formed, and um, and now today I've just been out on site um, seeing this, the slab going down and, and the first walls going up on that project. Um, so it was about in about four years ago, or maybe six, four years ago, when I did my Passive House certification training, that was when we... I sort of came back all enthused and, and we discussed it as a group and I managed to convince them that Passive House was the way to go um, for that build. So that's looking like, uh, well, that will be a certified Passive House um, multi-unit development. Right, so the, you got in quite good timing then, but it was already underway before they'd considered pa- it wasn't Passive House from the start? No, no. I mean, it was there was a certain amount of um, desire for it to have green... Um, a green focus yeah uh, but it was really once once we'd completed that i'd completed that training that um it was able to kind of coalesce into a uh, into a sort of a passive house project yeah and i mean a lot of people listening to this will know about the project because it's been ticking away in the background and it, and it is it is very significant i think in the new zealand's history of um, this type of design but one of the things I really like about it is that it looks nothing like what might come to mind when you say co-housing I think there's a bit of a stigma there still about a, a hippie commune kind of. yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> but it's it's not it's not that at all it's modern it's a contemporary look uh, it I mean it looks kind of very European in design but it's completely fitting in the context and I think when it's when it's made, people will drive past it having no idea that it's, it's a co-housing project. Yeah. Because it yeah, looks I mean, like I, a series I, of, ter- of terrace houses, really. 
we're very fortunate in that the, the piece of land that was um, available, you know, it's an old school site um, mm. that was purchased, uh, and that's that's open to the street on on two sides. So yeah. we, you know, there had been previous um, investigations about a piece of land down the bottom of a cul-de-sac um, or down the bottom of a driveway, and you know, we could have we could have developed that. I personally wasn't particularly interested in that. I, I kind of really like the site that we've that we've got and the way that yeah. it connects with with the rest of the city as a neighbourhood rather than. Or you know, as a city block rather than being cloistered away down a down a driveway. Yeah. Um, so I think it's we've 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 done really well in that in that respect, getting getting the site that has that you know such great connection, and, and it's quite an urban um, kind of site rather than being you know sort of more slightly more rural or um, a collection of individual houses. We've been able to go for a, a typology, you know, a, a, a townhouse kind of typology rather than um, lots of individual houses. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's been some of the challenges with regards to Passive House in that project? I think the key challenge is just around cost because, you know, it's really easy to cost up a normal um, code-built project because everyone's had experience with it. Lots of builders will say, oh, you know, the last similar project that I did was this much, um, therefore I can be pretty confident that this, this one's going to be this much. Um, you just don't. There's just no data out there or no information out there, so you really have to start from... From scratch, the builders, you know, and the quantity survey have to start from scratch yeah. to try and piece out how much this, how much th this whole thing's going to cost. Um, so, you know, it took us a very long time to actually get the prices of the units finalised because, aside from the fact that the building is is a, is, a, is really a prototype um, in New Zealand, um, then there's also a huge number of other um, costs. Which needed to be kind of rolled into that into that overall sticker price. Um, so yeah, it took years and years of spreadsheets and um, pricing and repricing to to get to where we've got. And that's where um, we really benefited from teaming up with eHouse, um, who are doing the build, because mm -hmm. they were able to, you know, they they've got plenty of experience with with doing um, lots of other passive houses, and so they were able to kind of bring that experience to um, to pricing and to negotiate a price which was going to work for for the client group, um, as well as obviously working for the builder. How many of those complexities were due to it being co-housing versus being passive house? Well, I mean, I think it's both, you know, because the, the valuers also didn't really know what to do with it, because yeah. the valuer's job is basically to look at other similar um, houses in the in the area, and when, when you've got the complexities of A, co-housing, and B, um, you know, co-housing with shared facilities, and and passive housing with some, you know, components which are really way above normal spec, um, the valuers kind of scratched their head and, and re had real trouble finding anything which was, was similar and, and, and making comparisons was very difficult for them. And so we would find that they would often um, underestimate the value of, of, of triple glazing or um, or underestimate the, the value to, to purchases of the, the common facilities which they would get. So it... it what we found is that you know we, we've now sold all of them by one unit, um, so we found that the market was was willing to pay the price, um, but the valuers wouldn't have told us that. Um, you know their their attitude was no, the market won't won't pay um, that much for these for these units. So it's it, it's difficult. I think what you've touched on there is that with a lot of these uh, projects, that in retrospect, uh, and to those of us who know where, where they're going, make absolute sense. But the, the barriers don't seem to be around the design or even the, the 
products uh, the availability in New Zealand but more about the established processes around the financing yeah consenting and some of those it's basically it's sort of administration and, and planning uh, which is a bit frustrating because it's it's not the physical aspects and the design that is the is the challenge it's all the other stuff around the the real estate and the property development industry that that seems to that we need to sort of get them on board and up yes. to speed with this this sort of stuff. Hey, banks, yeah. and banks and valuers and all that that those sorts of processes, which are incredibly important. How can we how can we better facilitate that change in the marketplace so that we can do more projects like this across the country? Well, I mean, I, I guess I, I feel as that's probably going to be an incremental kind of thing. If we can get a few of these projects off the ground um, and get the, you know, um, banks and, and valuers and things like that can can actually see that they have been successful and they can they can start to quantify what the value is and, and you know, they can, for instance, see that your power bill is going to be um, hugely reduced and therefore you'll be, uh, you have more capacity to pay a larger, larger mortgage. Um, some of the financial... Um, Benefits of, of building better will, will then start to make themselves more more tangible to, to the likes of bankers and um, and, yeah. and valuers. So I, I think it's really just going to be it's really just going to be incremental change um, for for the first few projects. We're just going to need to yeah prove proof of concept really is what we need, um, which is why I'm particularly excited about the the, the high street project um, and hopefully we can you know leverage that to 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 show that this is actually completely viable from all kinds of different you know perspectives financially socially sustainably yeah yeah there are a lot of a lot of people excited about it i think because of that fact of of having an example like this out in the marketplace and there's some others coming on the on the hills you've got a, an apartment building that's been consented as well um in Dunedin, is that right yeah, we've got a um, a nineteen unit sort of student accommodation building. Um, it's got resource consent. It still hasn't got the the building consent, so we're right. just in kind of negotiation. The clients are negotiating with the builder at the moment to to get that off the ground. Um, is, but that's is, the plan, is the plan for that to be a passive house as well? Yeah, that the plan is that that certified certified passive house, and so that's already that's already leveraging some of the what's been learnt from. From the co-housing and, and and I think the developer in that case is you know obviously it's got has some some of his confidence has come from seeing that the, the co-housing projects going ahead and and you know it's um it's it's working and, and the markets you know people have purchased all the units so so that's that's pretty um that's pretty exciting because that yeah. that's all student housing so it's 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 not you know the high end kind of passive house yeah which a lot of a lot of the passive houses in New Zealand have been for kind of you know wealthy baby boomers um. Yes. So it's it's kind of yeah proving that it can be done for you know a developer can still make a margin on doing these kind of projects as well. Yeah, well, because you got you've also got community housing um, project. Is that is that a kind of prospective project? This. So that's just about to go in for building consent. We're just waiting for final bits and pieces from the engineer, but that's for the local city council. Um, so they've they're going to be they've got ten pensioner units that they're um, having to demolish because they're no longer fit for purpose um, and so they're they're replacing those with um, 10 passive house pensioner flats so again that's part of the benefit of having the co-housing project there we can kind yeah. of point to work there and so there's there's quite a lot of energy from you know the council quite a, seem to be quite excited about that and so 
yeah, we um, hopefully that can be the first of, of many. Is is a lot of you know the, the the Dunedin City Council, like many others across the country, are looking towards you know, reducing carbon emissions or, or heading towards you know zero carbon by by twenty thirty. Um, so if they can if they can find that these are a really useful tool for them to do that, um, I think that'll be really that'd be a really awesome outcome. Hats off, hats off to Dunedin Council. It seems like they've they're, they're being pretty progressive there. Have you got some? You got a couple of good allies within the council. I didn't know that I did, but um, <laughs> it turns out you know there's a there's a project manager there who's really who's really keen and really sort of driven that project forward. Um, so yeah, um, it hasn't been hugely widely publicised at the moment because it's always one of these things you kind of want to make sure it's gonna it's gonna fly before yeah. it starts. Um, you know, we start. We start putting it out there too much, but um, yeah, um, it's it's pretty exciting. What advice would you give to people who are wanting to move in a, in a slightly different direction than the stock standard, uh, and you know maybe create uh, a project, whether it's just a simple passive house or maybe it's pushing the boundaries a bit with a, um, a social housing or or even a, an apartment building that something's a little bit out of the box but high performance. What what are the main things to ensure success through that consenting and the design process? Well obviously use a use a certified passive house designer would be that would be one of the one of the big things. It sounds like, you know, um, not to sort of blow our own horn or anything like that, but but definitely when you use a certified passive house designer, you know that they've got experience in a, and are going to be able to deliver what you what you're asking them. Yep. So that's a, a good starting point. Um, I think I, th- I think the key thing is just to just to sort of let the process kind of work its way through. I mean, it will be, you know, building anything in New Zealand is is really expensive. I think that's one of the one of the challenges that can be can be um, that can be with with building to a passive house standard is that when the budget comes back and it looks like it's really expensive, the first the finger gets pointed immediately at the passive house um, aspect of the design, um, and it's it's not like normal projects you know conventional projects don't come back way over budget normally anyway um so i think our, our strategy is just to always um just to design as simply as possible we, we we just use lots of rectangles um lots of just really simple forms um and try not to over complicate the um the external envelope um because that's where you know you can you can blow a lot of money and, and create a really difficult um project to build so and and also, I mean, as as an architect, you you want to we're wanting to to design buildings which are aesthetically pleasing as well. So you, you start to develop a bit of a, a an approach which combines the a, a, a really good surface to volume ratio, nice compact building form, but still doesn't um, still doesn't lose the aesthetic um, aspect of, of of building design as well. So I, I think it's all it is a team game. Um, having a really good having a good certifier on board is is important. Having engineers who who are um, who know what they're doing in terms of thermal bridges and aren't going to be constantly designing things which are going to have to be be changed, um, and then and getting and getting a builder on board, ideally sooner rather than later, who 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 wants to take their business in in the direction of building um, more energy efficient homes, um, you'll be banging your head against a brick wall if you're working you know trying to work with a builder who's who who just wants to be. Um, banging out traditional houses um, and you're forcing them to, to do something that's, that they see as overly complicated or 
unnecessary. So, um, and, and we've found that there's a huge number of builders out there who, who want to um, move in this direction with their businesses. So um, there's no lack of, there's no lack of appetite from, from the building industry either. Yeah, that's good to hear. It's, it sounds, so it sounds like the overall approach is finding the right people up front. I think it is. Yeah, finding finding the right team is really is really pretty key. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm glad you, you, the you came back to the aesthetic because I wouldn't want people to be put off by your statement around simple boxes because your your buildings are beautiful. Yeah, you know, you've, you've, you've got a great, and, and I'll put some links, but you can go through the the portfolio and the projects that Archetypes um, been involved in, and they don't look like, uh, I was going to say, they don't look, uh, there is no passive house look, I, I don't think, uh, not, yeah. not anymore. And, um, you know, you, you contemporary look, you got a whole range of looks, but they're all very, very uh, beautiful designs. And even if you do have, the relatively simple envelope underlying. Uh, I think the co-housing project is a good example where um, with eaves and um, a simple mix of claddings, you can create an aesthetic that doesn't, it doesn't look like just rectangular blocks. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the challenging things for, for architects who've been practicing for, for a while when they come to come to, to design a passive house building is that a lot of their box of tricks in terms of the way that they the way that they design and some of the some of the techniques they use to make buildings look um, look pleasing are counterproductive with when you design a passive house you know they might be it might have a tendency to, to do to design sprawling floor plans and things like that so it, in some ways it's quite for We're us pushing out walls just for the sake of having yeah breaking up right. a, a wall which just that's right yeah so there's a whole different set of, of things that you can and do and, and tools that you can use. And so, I mean, in some ways it's quite, it's great being a young practice because we haven't got into, we haven't got our, our particular box of tricks, um, as it were, set up for, you know, creating traditional buildings. We've, we've been able to basically build, build our design approach around um, creating really um, compact buildings and yet really creating buildings which are still fairly fairly well articulated yeah yeah you're making a different box of tricks which allows you to yeah, to do better design yeah mm. i'll put some links up to uh the webs your website but also you're doing regular pretty regular updates to the co-housing project on your facebook page um and that'll be exciting to watch that progress um with some you got a drone flying around over there you got some uh, yeah some, we've, some we've got a drone so we'll, we'll have that flying um every few every few weekends just to um give a bit of a, an update on that and and it's starting to get to a really interesting stage yeah. now so it'll be even more regular in our updates yeah um yeah in the, in the coming months and uh what's the best way for people to get in touch with with you or Ike type um probably just through the website really it's where most people sort of make contact so yeah. uh, www.archetype.co.nz um, um, is a contact form there. Um, otherwise, yeah. I know it's uh, it's a bit of a labour of love. Uh, some of these these um, longer projects, yes. Tim. So I, I don't uh, imagine. You know, I hope I hope they're they're rewarding in, in all all aspects. But yeah, um, you know, it, I I think it's it's fantastic to have people like you and the rest of the team that have been involved. With, with a lot of passion for these right from the start. 
Um, and I, I think they will contribute. I know they'll contribute a lot to being um, helping change the, the industry through the whole country. So thank you. Thank you for your uh, input you. into that. And um, I, I hope that others will be inspired and we'll see more of these types of um, these projects um, popping up so that we, we do get more than just standalone passive houses in New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Love to see some more commercial projects. That would be, be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time, Tim. Really appreciate it. Great. Okay. Thanks for chat. And that was Tim Ross, certified passive house designer and founder and one of the principals of Archetype here uh, in New Zealand, down in Dunedin. Check out uh, the show notes for this episode. I'll link up some of the um, projects that Tim is involved with. You can also go directly to archetype.co.nz. The High Street uh, co-housing project also has a great website of their own. Uh, if you just go to highstreetcohousing.nz, they've also got some great resources there just describing in some more detail what co-housing is, uh, how that project has progressed over the years and uh, some some nice images of the, the typologies that they've got there on site. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed that. Um, you can find all the show notes over at homestylegreen.com forward slash 191 for episode 191. Thanks very much for tuning in. It'd be great if you could share this around if you found it useful. Uh, you can subscribe to this episode, let other people know about it and... Um, encourage them to head on over to iTunes or wherever they get their podcasts from and uh, subscribe to this show. That would be awesome. Thank you very much. I'm Matthew Cutler-Welsh. Now go make a better place to live. Mm -hmm.